does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. Last night, up in the paradise city of Lafayette, West Lafayette, more specifically, Purdue over Xavier, 83-71. Boilers now 3-0 and on their way to take on the Zags of Gonzaga. Joining us now on the program, he is the voice of the Purdue men's basketball program. Rob Blackman joins us. Rob, I'm going to begin with asking you what I, I just was talking about, and I said I'm going to ask Rob this right out of the gate. How and and I don't even mean this like in a condescending or flippant tone. I mean I'm actually being somewhat serious. How often do you anticipate this year that the Purdue basketball team is either going to hear externally or even from the inside the name Fairleigh Dickinson? Oh, how about infinity? Is that a proper <laughs> answer? Um <laughs> 17,422 times, maybe, if I had to put a number on it. Does Which that... Actually, Jake, uh, I, I, Jake and uh, I think, uh, and Jimmy, I, I think that's actually a good thing. And I think Matt Painter would agree with, uh, with that statement. Um, he has said a couple of times here, especially in the preseason practices working up to this start of the season, that, you know, look, Purdue dominated the Big Ten last year. I mean, they went 29-6. and six. They won the league by three full games. They won the Big Ten tournament and, and quite frankly, made it look easy. But but then they lose to Fairleigh Dickinson. So that is probably a good thing in the long run for this team because it keeps them on edge, right? Anytime they start to feel a little full of themselves, uh, or as my grandmother liked to say, you, you get a little too big for your britches, um, it's pretty easy for Matt Painter to just say, Fairly Dickinson, and that should bring them right back to earth, crashing back to earth rather quickly. So, I, I don't know that that's actually a bad thing that they that they do hear the name Fairly Dickinson to infinity because it does keep this group on edge, a group that, quite frankly, as you guys know, I mean, it's returning, you know, almost ninety percent of its scoring, almost ninety percent of its rebounding, ninety percent of its of its assists, won a ton of games, uh, but right, the big but uh, got knocked off by a sixteen seed in the NCAA tournament, so. If there's one thing that's going to keep you grounded and, and, and keep you uh, keep you hopefully focused on the ultimate goal of winning games in the NCAA tournament, it is the fact that you you did lose to a 16 seed last March. You know when you so I find that interesting though, Rob. There would be that notion, and maybe in the past, Matt Painter has played it this way. You know, after other you know Little Rock or one of those. And every team has those NCAA tournament stubbing of the toe. I mean, everybody but one every year, right? But do you think that, like, in the past, did they dwell on how the last year had ended as much as this year? Or is it by necessity because of the humility and the wake-up call that came with it to make sure that, in fact, you're not just turning that page? Well, maybe the uh, maybe a little bit of the humility. I also think a big, big part of it, Jake, is – uh, you're in such a rare, in such a rare situation here, in that you're bringing basically back your entire team. Uh, that so rarely happens anymore in college basketball, even at Purdue. Yeah, uh, where Purdue doesn't lose a lot of transfers, as you know. They most guys normally stick around for four or five years. 
Um, so I think that's also part of it. You know, typically when you're when your NCAA season uh, tournament ends, uh, you start putting together the pieces for next year, and normally there are a lot of new faces uh, among those pieces. That is not the case with this group. I mean, outside of Lance Jones uh, and then the freshmen, you know, Miles Colvin and, and Camden Heidi, you know, they're, they're just kind of uh, they're new pieces to the puzzle, yes, but as I said, Purdue brings back most of the same team they had. So I think that's all maybe the, probably the bigger part of it. Um, you're not starting over. You're, you're not. You're not looking at a new season and saying, "Well, we have all these new faces. Let's try to, you know, let's try to get these guys to gel and see what we can do." Uh, no, you have. You basically have all the same guys coming back. So I, I think that's a big part of it too. Voice of the Boilermakers, Rob Blackman, with us here on Query and Company. Rob, how long into the season? Because I agree with you. When you return that much of the scoring, that much of the rebounding, that much of the assist makers, you would think natural growth and progression, especially when you had younger guys a year ago like Trey Kaufman-Wren, like Braden Smith, like Fletcher Lawyer. How far into the season for you before we really see the full growth and the fruits of their labor from another offseason with Coach Painter, or are we already seeing that this early in the year? I think, Jimmy, we see it probably next week in Honolulu. Um, I say that because the competition level is about to be ramped up to, to such a, a ferocious level. I mean, you start with number 11, Gonzaga, uh, right out of the gate. Uh, if you win that game, you assume Tennessee, which is sec- or seventh in the country. You assume they're winning their game, so now you're playing number seven. And then if you're fortunate enough to get past that one, you're probably playing either number one, Kansas, or number four, Marquette. So we're, we're proud to see if this team has indeed taken some steps uh, in in the proper direction, just because of the level of competition they face. Look, Purdue's a better three-point shooting team right now than they were last year, but it's such a small sample size, and all the games have been home games. So you've been you've been playing in the friendly confines, right? You, you, the rims you practice on every day. Purdue's shooting 46% from three. Purdue last year shot 32% from three. That was a that was a real thorn in the side of Purdue's offense last year. Matt Painter would be the first to tell you last this team last year was more skilled than 32% three-point shooting. It should have been better. There's no reason for this group to shoot 32% from three. Now they're at 46%. I don't think that's a realistic number. I don't think it stays at 46. My gosh, if it stays at 46 all season, uh, <laughs> Purdue could maybe run the table. It would be that good. But again, I don't think that's realistic. Um, that's the one area I have seen, at least early in the year, where Purdue has really improved. But again, and it's hard to judge from these first three opponents. Uh, but I, I think after those three games next week in Hawaii, uh, it's going to be a heck of a lot easier to judge and see if we, if we think this team has taken some steps forward. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Rob, let me tell you one of the points that I've I've been watching out of curiosity, and I'm curious whether or not this is me fabricating my own storyline or there is some legitimacy to it, okay? And I've mentioned it a couple of times. I thought last year Smith and Lawyer, and I think you and I talked about this maybe even in May, I thought they were fabulous last year. I mean, two guys that came in and just played their tail off and really exceeded expectation for the better part of the season. And then in February and March, I thought both of them, particularly Lawyer, 
understandably so, just kind of hit that freshman wall where just their legs turned to lumber. How much of the development of Colvin in particularly, but also the play of Jones, is critical towards giving those two guys some flexibility over the course of the year to keep them fresh and take some heat off of them late in the year when you most need them to then be able to be at their best? Yeah, good point, Jake. I would also throw Camden Heidi in that group too um, as a guy that can play on the perimeter and can give those guys some some minutes. What, what has happened early in the season, uh, when Braden Smith has, has been taken out of the game, Lance Jones has moved to the point guard position. If for whatever reason both are out of the game at the same time, then Ethan Morton has become the de facto point guard, which isn't all bad because he's a senior. Now, he's he's not the talent level of those other two guys, especially offensively, but he is a senior, and you know he's going to take care of the ball and make all the right decisions, get you into offense. But, yeah, you know, last year Purdue would get stuck. And you guys watch enough Purdue basketball last year. You, you know this. Late in the season, Purdue get, would get stuck offensively if Braden Smith and Fletcher Lawyer uh, were not giving him any, anything from the perimeter. Uh, it just became a matter of, well, we're going to throw three guys at Zach. He, uh, he's going to have to pass out of a double team or triple team. We'll just dare those other guys to make shots. Well, they weren't making shots. And you had no other option. You, you you couldn't go to the bench and bring in anyone else that was going to be a shot maker. That, again, we're early in the season, so I have to say this, you know, cautiously. But what we've seen early in the year is, you know, like Miles Colvin comes in off the bench last night. He takes three shots. They're all threes, and he makes every one of them. Doesn't even touch the rim on any of the three. I mean, what a luxury to have if, say, a Fletcher Lawyer's having an off night. You can bring in a Miles Colvin and know that you have a shot maker. Same with Camden Heidi. He has shot the ball well from the perimeter. Plus, he's he's a willing defender. Um, so yeah, that 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 can definitely play a huge role. And Lance Jones has been as good as advertised. Um, you know, it was interesting because he he transfers to Purdue without a without a whole lot of fanfare, despite the fact he'd been really good at SIU at Southern Illinois. Um, but Matt Painter kept telling us, "Hey, this guy's the perfect fit for us. He's exactly what we need." But he wasn't a headliner guy. He wasn't a guy that, you know, was on the front page of, of all the college basketball websites talking about top transfers. No one really thought much about it. Well, we found out he is a great fit for Purdue. So just more shot makers. That's the one thing that kind of dawned on me as I was driving home after the game last night. Last year when Purdue could not make perimeter shots, uh, which unfortunately was often late in the season, there was no – you were just stuck. There was no one, no one, nowhere else to turn. That doesn't appear to be the case right now. You do have guys you can bring it off the bench that can be shot makers for you. And again, take take the uh, the burden off of Zach Eady and hopefully uh, get teams out of this uh, this mode where they love to double and triple team him and, and dare other 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 Purdue players to make plays. Our guest is the September third born Rob Blackman. See how I remember this time, Rob. <laughs> ah, thank you. I remember this time. Uh, he is, of course, the voice of the Purdue Boilermakers. Uh, you know, a year ago, Rob, they were so dominant with, with Zach Eady. I mean, I, for you know, understandably, right? The guy was the best player in college basketball, and there's no reason to believe he won't still be. But did Purdue come up with new wrinkles? I, you know, are they going to? Is this just like, hey, rinse and repeat? It worked last year, barring one game disappointment. Let's just stick with what worked. Or did they work the off season and have they worked in? the practices in coming up with some different things to avoid having to be so reliant on Zach Eady. I don't know how many new wrinkles are in the offense. I can assume there are a few. Again, so much of that is personnel driven. 
Purdue has the athleticism now that they did not have last year in guys like Miles Colvin and Heidi and, and Lance Jones. I, I know we keep talking about those three guys, but their athleticism is off the charts. Purdue didn't have any of that last year. So that ju- that does change things uh, for what you, how you're going to look at things offensively, especially trying to get Zach the ball. But, and again, Coach Painter, he, he brought this up a couple weeks ago, and it really it really hit home with me. The fact of the matter is you can't look at just one bad game in the NCAA tournament and, and, and totally blow up your offensive philosophy and start over. The fact is last year Purdue was 12th in the country in offensive efficiency. They spent most of the season between one and five in, in adjusted offensive efficiency. If you look at Purdue's numbers against the top 100, I didn't realize this until Coach Painter mentioned it, Purdue against the top 100 last year was number one in the country in offensive efficiency. So obviously they were doing something right. You know, right? If it works, there's no reason to go and change it. Um, again, there's probably some wrinkles, but it has more to do with personnel than it does actually offensive philosophy because the numbers would tell you last year, if against the top 100 you were the best offensive team in the country, then you don't want to make a whole lot of changes there just because one game went bad on you. Rob, I have a little bit of a rooting interest in Miles Colvin just because I had the opportunity to cover him as well as his sister Raven during their time at Heritage Christian or on the volleyball side at Purdue. So I, I want to see him make good on top of the fact that he's a local product as well. When you look at him as a freshman, 11 minutes last night against Xavier, if he continues to perform well, is that probably a sweet spot minutes-wise or is there room, despite the depth on this Boilermaker squad, for that to increase as the season goes on? I would look at he and Camden Heidi's numbers because they play the same position. Uh, 11 minutes last night for Miles, 10 for Camden. I would guess, just from listening to the coaches speak on this topic, that's going to be a, a varying a varying amount of minutes for those two guys depending on who's playing well or better in that particular game. Now, last night both were playing well, uh, so that's why they played just about equal minutes. Um but there are going to be games when one's going to be better than the other, and, and that's the guy who will play. The other thing I would add to that is the guy who decides to guard <laughs> and play really hard on the defensive end, he will be the guy that probably yeah. stays in the game just because that's the way Matt Painter is wired. Again, the beauty of those two guys, man, they can score. You know, Not only are they really athletic and they are willing defenders, they're just young guys, so they're still learning. But they could, you know, look at, as I mentioned, Miles – Miles comes into the game last night and knocks down three three-point shots. He barely worked up a sweat, and he made it look easy. He, he's just he, he, He's been instant offense. Camden's done the same thing, I think, in the season opener. Cam came into the game. He wasn't in the game five seconds. Caught the ball on the left wing, shot a three, and made it. Um, so those guys are – not only are they willing shooters, but they can make shots. The one that's playing the better on that particular evening, especially once we get into Big Ten play against the better competition, you know, the teams that can really, really come at you uh, on the offensive end. The guy who's guarding better is probably the guy that's going to see the most minutes. Uh, But regardless, those guys, if they're both playing well, you probably see what you saw last night, 11, 10, 12 minutes for each of them. If one guy's playing better than the other on that particular night, uh, that'll be the guy that gets the the bulk of the minutes of that position. Hey, Rob, did you know there was a Rob Blackman that played for the Colts? Were you a fan of his? Did you wear the jersey and stuff? <laughs> oh, no way. Really? I'm, I'm not kidding you. I, I looked it up. Robert Blackman, a former American football safety in the National Football League, drafted by the Seattle Seahawks in the second round of the 1990 draft, played college football at Baylor, also played for the Indianapolis Colts in the 97-98 season. He was a second-round pick in 90 out of Baylor. Now, that means wow. he played Indiana in the 
Insight.com Bowl, the last or the Copper Bowl back then, the last bowl game Indiana won. Um, he's from Bay City, Texas, not to be confused with the Bay City Rollers. Mm-hmm. So I think you should get a Rob Blackman Colts jersey. That'd be pretty awesome. I uh, wow, I can't believe I did not know that. Uh, now you played football at Evansville, right? I did, yeah, yeah. About that same time, actually, I played at Evansville from '89 to '93, so roughly the same time he was in college. Now, when so, you when you played at Evansville, what number were you? Uh, Thirty-three. Thirty-three. Were you what, what? What position were you? Uh, wide receiver. Now, now, what wide receiver wears thirty-three? <laughs> well, when you're really low on the depth chart, you get that. <laughs> I was going to say, like that's so. You're the dude that played like safety and wide receiver, right? Yeah, well, uh, now that you bring it up, yes. I showed up on, on campus as a free safety and quickly got moved to wide receiver. I'm not sure if that was good or bad. Uh, but, again, when you're, when you're low man on the depth chart, you don't really get to pick a cool number. You How many total receptions in your Aces career? Uh, what was that? You cut out for a second. <laughs> total number of receptions in your Aces career. Which, don't get me wrong, I'm not – hey, listen, I didn't play college sports. I mean, good for you, right? 14. That's impressive. Any touchdowns? What? In four years? Dude, it's 14 more than I had. <laughs> well, that, I guess I, the funny thing, since Evansville dropped football in 97, there really are no records that were kept. So I, I, I could have just lied to you there. I probably should have lied and said 114, but, but no, it was 14. So they dropped football. How many passes did you drop? <laughs> How many footballs did you drop? Probably fourteen plus. I'm <laughs> you were fourteen of thirty in your career, right? <laughs> hey, in basketball, that's not too bad, Rob. Right? That's not too bad, but that's probably why they didn't throw the ball my direction very often. Um, I think I was more of a blocker. I was more of a blocking wide receiver. Rob, what's the ceiling this year for for Kaufman Wren? Uh, he's a guy to me that's really intriguing because man, you've seen the flashes where this guy can play. And part of me wonders if it's just the fact that the low post is so dominant by Zach Eady. What is the ceiling or the role, if you will? You know, it's so interesting, and I'm glad you asked that. He, he, or Braden Smith, either one you could have picked. Were our they were our best player in Europe on the European trip. You know, Trey averaged 18, 18 points and nine rebounds, and I understand the competition is not the level you're going to see here in Division One college basketball in the U.S., but still good players. And and Trey was just so dominant over there, but he was playing without Zach Eady. Remember, Zach was with Team Canada playing in the FIBA games. So he really had, you know, the, the run of the mill in the low post. He, he was the go-to guy. I think the problem for him now is making that readjustment to the fact that Zach Eady is indeed on your team and you have to find a way to coexist with him in the low post. He certainly is more than capable. We saw last the one game Zach Eady did not play in last year, the New Orleans game. Um, Trey played in that game and had, if I remember correctly, 24 points, nine rebounds, or something like that. I mean, just dominated. But the, the trick for Trey is trying to learn, again, how to coexist with Zach. Uh, and I do think, I think there's a sweet spot there. I think he will eventually find that sweet spot, and that's going to be a, a great position for him to be in. But, yeah, he, he has proven that when he's the number one option in the low post, He's pretty darn good. But when Zach Eady's on your team, you are not the number one option in the low post. You are option number two. And so he just needs to do just get get that part figured out. You know, it's kinda like when Mark James called you to ask you to be on the IndyCar radio network, the big caveat was you had to learn how to coexist with me. And that that was a challenge in itself, right? Yes. Uh <laughs> and uh you know what? I've been meaning to tell you this. 
Did you know Stingray Rob also has a September 3rd birthday? Does he really? Yeah. Stingray Rob, by the way, is responsible for one of the more awkward moments that I've ever seen when Stingray Rob was at a press conference that was being held by Honda because he drives a Honda. And when they asked him why he is named Stingray, he said, because my dad's a fan of the greatest sports car ever, the Chevrolet Corvette Stingray. (laughs) I'm like, well... (laughs) Might want to hold that one off, right? <laughs> yeah, you need to look that up. He also has a September 3rd birthday. So, so does Charlie Sheen. Doing, when we're doing an IndyCar broadcast and Stingray's a part of it, there are three September 3rd wow. birthdays involved. What are the odds of that, man? Then we can just what are the odds? Yeah, s- yeah. swing by some wrongdoing stuff and write Charlie Sheen into it, and we got ourselves a quartet of fun, right? <laughs> Jake, you got to teach him the trivia that you got. You oh, yeah, yesterday. lastly, Rob, I, I meant to, and thank you, Eddie, for, for mentioning that. Uh, you are getting ready to go to Hawaii, right? Yes, yes. Okay. Do you know the state fish of Hawaii? Oh, my gosh, the state fish? Yes. Rob, just give up now. It's the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Wapawaha. Now, here's the thing, Rob. If you could, here's the, now, let me tell you this. If you work this into the broadcast, I can't tell you, I mean, I don't know what the prize would be, but if you can say in some point in a radio broadcast, and we'll, we'll, and we'll play it on these airwaves till the cows come home, the state fish of Hawaii is the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Wapawaha. Now, say it with me. Okay, you ready? Huma Huma. Huma Huma. Okay, no, no, no. Huma Huma. Oh. Huma humu. Okay. Nuka nuka. Nuka nuka. Apawaha. Apawaha. Now say it all together. Huma huma nuka nuka apawaha. Can't do it. Come on. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm telling you. All, here, like I you say this. Uh, you here, here's spelling. Rob, Rob here's what you do. Here's what you do. You ready? You know, Smith to the right side. Now the lawyer. Inside Zach Eady. Turns. Puts it up. Made it look as easy as saying huma huma nuka nuka apawaha. Boom. Right there. Easy. How would you like it if I called you and told you how to do your job? <laughs> People do it every day, Rob. <laughs> People do it every day. Listen, we have the same birthday. I can do these things. Rob, enjoy it. Appreciate the time, all right? Okay, gentlemen. Thank you. All right. Aloha. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Kristen Airy is the television voice of the Indiana Pacers and noted Hootie and the Blowfish fan. Now, Chris, before we get talking about the Pacers and the 76ers, part duh, because they just played on Sunday and they're playing again tonight, um, I, I hate to, to throw oh, these guys under the bus. My goodness. Uh, Chris, I'm doing the show here with not one but two guys who just asked me to name a Hootie and the Blowfish song because they didn't know any songs by them. I felt confident <laughs> I'd heard one, Chris, and I was right. Now, have you ever felt more old in your life, Chris? I. It, yeah, I feel very old now. Uh, very old. I, I mean, granted, they're uh, coming up. They're touring this summer for their 30th anniversary. June 8th. Uh, yeah, I'm going to see them twice uh, in Cincinnati and Ruoff back-to-back. So, so I want to already, already got that on the schedule. I was going to say, I, I really want to go see them June 8th. Um, it's the weekend of Road America for IndyCar, so we're going to have to figure out the travel on that. But I really do want to see them. I was supposed to see them, gosh, would it have been – didn't they just tour like two years ago for like a cracked rear view celebration or something? And yeah, it was, I think it was. Gosh, it was almost uh, five years ago. Yeah, I think it was 2019. It was the summer before COVID. I was supposed so to go been, see them in Cincinnati, and 
there was a conflict. I think it was an IndyCar conflict, and I couldn't go. Which yeah, I, no, that I, album was just so good, man. I mean, and I, I know I they mean, had it's more. Still, but. Uh, Jake, it's still. I mean, if you Google it, I think it's still one of the all-time greatest-selling albums of all time. Oh, I know. Um, yeah, I, I believe yeah, it, it broke. I believe it broke the record for highest selling debut album of all time and I believe it eclipsed Appetite for Destruction which had previously eclipsed Boston. I, I'm pretty sure that's correct. You know what's funny, I, I you know, I was a long time Hootie and the Blowfish fan and, you know, love Darius Rucker's uh, country stuff and it was a number of years ago that Debbie Antonelli, my partner for the Indiana Fever, does a great job on CBS during the NCAA tournament and all that. I was down in Charleston, and she surprised me that Hootie and the Blowfish was having a concert raising money for education down in Charleston. And I had never met any of them. I had gone to concerts, but you know, hadn't been backstage or anything. All of a sudden, she surprised me. She goes, hey, come with me. And went backstage and met, met all the guys, and that's the first time I'd been back there. And it's funny, when I started talking to those guys, they all went to South Carolina. Uh, Mark Bryan, one of their guitar players, and they they knew at the time, you know, they said, well, you're the voice of the Pacers. I go, yeah, well, man, man, we wish we could. That's what we all wanted to do uh, when we were in college. And I said, well, I think you could do what I do a whole lot easier than I no could do question. what you do. No I question. I mean, uh, but, yeah, it was really cool. And like I said, I got hooked into him. I was working at Butler in the around 93, 94, and, and, you know, they went on Letterman and made it big. But one of our interns came back from spring break, and she had been down in South Carolina, and she goes, hey, Mr. Denary, I saw this band. They were really good. And I go, oh, what's their name? And she goes, Hootie and the Blowfish. And I'm like, what's the Hootie and the Blowfish? So uh, that, that was my first uh, – uh, and you can ask my kids. I mean, I have two 30-year-olds and a 27-year-old. I mean – they were inundated with uh, Hootie and the Blowfish back in the 90s. Now, you know, we were just talking, Chris. Do you know the state fish of Hawaii, which sounds kind of like Hootie and the Blowfish? Do you happen to know what it is? We've been talking about this all week. I do not know. The, the Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Wapuaha. That's the state fish of Hawaii. Now, Purdue's getting ready to play in Hawaii, and I was telling Blackman if he can incorporate Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Wapuaha into the broadcast that I'd, you know, I don't know, give him a buck or something. Uh, can you do that tonight, do you think, during the broadcast? Huma Huma Nuka Nuka Wapuaha? Who, uh, yeah, you you may have to text me the uh, phonetic uh, pronunciation. <laughs> I'll, I'll so start now, and I'll get that. the text done by by tip off. It's um, sort of like uh, back in the day, Sharunas Yasakavichis, right? I mean, that's right. That kind of I remember with Sharunas Yasakavichis, they said, "Just remember saying lots of cabbage." Yeah, exactly. I'm like, okay, and then it was easy to remember. Um, So, Chris, I'm assuming, by the way, and I should know this because Rick Carlisle was on with the guys this morning, but the team stayed in Philly, correct? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Stayed here. Yeah. So, what adjustments can be made when you, when you do? I know it's not a back to back, but it kind of is, right? I mean, you have the day in between. But what things can be learned other than not letting Maxi and Embiid go off, which is such a huge, you know, right there. I mean, you're talking about two elite players. What tweaks can be made from two nights ago? Well, I think it, it, talking to the players yesterday at practice, I mean, specifically Aaron Neesmith and, and Bruce Brown, who are two of the better defenders, it, you know, they said, "Look, we got to we got to play with more force. Uh, it's really hard to guard those guys on the pick and roll." I mean, it's it's funny if people watched when they had success. They, Nick Nurse just went to that pick and side pick and roll with Embiid and Maxi. Seemed like ten possessions in a row uh, because they're so good. And 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 Maxi, I said. On Sunday, Jake, it was like he was a video game. He was a cheat code. I mean, the, the guy could not miss. But you, you've got to play with more force, and you've, you've just got to figure out a way 
um, to be more physical with those guys and, and, and bump them off their spot. You may have to give up a foul here or there, but I think it's being more physical and, and just making some adjustments in how you handle that pick and roll. Um, then I thought in the second half, you know, they allowed some other guys to get going. Nick Batum, who won't play tonight out with personal reasons, hit, hit three threes. Beverly hit one. So, you know, I thought the Pacers did a good job adjusting during the game to take a, a 17 to 19 point deficit into a lead in the fourth quarter. Uh, so they, they just have to continue those adjustments they made late in the game. Chris, how much does it change from a Pacers perspective? Obviously, the margin for victory would increase on the Pacers' side, but how much does the outlook tonight change if Embiid is forced to sit? I know he has questionable designation right now with the sore left hip. They play Boston tomorrow night. Where do things change from a Pacers' standpoint if you take away one of the best big men in the game? Well, there's no question it's the uh, biggest change, and, and quite simply, the numbers are like this. I mean, I got it right in front of me. With Embiid on the floor against the Pacers, the Sixers are 13-4 and four in his career. When he does not play against the Pacers, they are 7-2. and two. So it tells you that you know he's just a monster. I mean, he's, he's had a 59-point game earlier this year. I mean, what, what he did the other night against the Pacers with 37-13, and 13, I mean, he's averaging 32-12. and 12. So it's not like the Pacers are the only team he does this to. Um, you know, he's, he's in a great place. Uh, I think Nick Nurse has done a really good job with him. They've really taken him, you know, I thought over the last few years he took way too many threes, uh, and he can make them, but, but he is so, uh, you know, devastating down low on the block and in the paint, and, and that's really where they put him. So, absolutely, if, if he is out, I mean, it, it's, it's a huge advantage for the Pacers because you don't have to go against the defending MVP. Chris, of the players who are getting significant minutes at this point, and at this point, I think we're looking at probably, for the most part, a, a 9-10 to 10 player rotation that Rick Carlisle has used. Which player is most in need of finding game-to-game -game consistency? Well, I guess I would say, um, you know, as I look at him, is Benedict Matherin. I mean, you know, he's maybe struggled a little bit early, had two really good games, outstanding games last week. Uh, against Utah and Milwaukee, and it wasn't just the points. It was the rebounding and the assists. I mean, they've asked him to do more, to be a better all-round player, and, and he wants that, and he's adapting to that. But you're going to have some games as he tries to do all of those things where, you know, maybe you know he's not as good as he was. I mean, the other night he had nine points and five rebounds and, you know, did not make a three. So uh, you'd like to see him get a little bit more consistent. I think Obi Toppin, uh, you'd like to see a little bit more consistent in the starting lineup. But other than that, I mean, Halliburton's been great. Uh, Miles Turner's been outstanding. Uh, I think Bruce Brown does what Bruce Brown does. I mean, uh, last week against Milwaukee, he had a near triple-double. He had 11 points, 9 rebounds, 7 assists. And then you're, you're getting great play off the bench. I mean, right now the bench is the leading bench uh, scoring unit in the NBA. I mean, the real deal for this team is is to to somehow get a little bit better defensively. I don't think they have to be great defensively, but they have to be better because right now they lead the NBA in in all offensive categories: points, uh, efficiency, assists. Uh, their three point shooting is top three in the league. So offense is not a problem for this group, but they've got to become a little bit better. Uh, defensively. I have seen several occasions this year. Chris Denary is our guest. Chris, I've seen so far this year several times where Bruce Brown, Giannis comes to mind, 
where Bruce Brown is out guarding players on the wing, uh, far bigger than he. I mean, he's only 6'4". Is that because he is such a bulldog defender, or does that show the necessity for true wings that Indiana has upping themselves defensively to be able to alleviate that size difference? Yeah, I mean, I think they have two guys that can play a little bit bigger than they are. Nemhard's the other, right? Nemhard and Neesmith. And Neesmith, I mean, Neesmith, yeah, yeah. Neesmith does a good job. You know, I think he's one of the Pacers' better defenders. And, you know, if you look back at last year, I mean, Bruce Brown, I mean, he defended everybody from one through five when he was in Denver, and he's more than willing to do that. Um, and so, you know, that's one of the things that he talked about yesterday was especially in that two-man game, just doing a better job on the ball and on the drops and, and how, how you handle the pick and roll. Um, but he goes, look, you're, you're not going to win them all. I mean, these are, you know, Tyrese Maxey right now is playing at an all-star level. Um, he's had four or five straight 25-point games. I mean, this this is a young man out of, out of Kentucky that is, you know, he, he's really, really good. And then you have Embiid. So you just got to try to do all the things that you possibly can to slow these guys down. You're not going to stop them but you've got to try to slow them down a little bit. Chris, I know this is objectively a weird question. Chris Denary, TV voice of your Indiana Pacers, with us here on Querying Company. I know it's objectively a weird question because this is such a brand new concept, but does it feel any different on your end? And does it feel any different within the Pacers locker room that you win this game and the road is paved for you to get to the quarterfinal and move on to the knockout rounds of the in-season tournament. Does it feel any different than it does a year ago in your mind and then within the team? A little bit. I think it does. I mean, when you get into the building, too, and it has a different look and a different feel, yes, I would say that. And um, But but it's, it's a work in progress. I mean, I, I've visited with a number of people here, and I've asked, do you uh, do you go to eight games in the in-season tournament in group play and have a home-and-home and, home and sort of take about a two-and-a-half or three-week period and, and all of your games that you're playing are in-season tournament games to keep it consistent? And that way, okay, you're home with Philadelphia, you're on the road with Philadelphia. But um, I, do think, I, I do think it gives a little bo- bit more added muster to tonight's game, knowing that if you can win, and you want to bounce back after a loss on Sunday. But if you win, maybe you're in the driver's seat to get to the quarterfinals, and then it's sort of a one-and-done NCAA tournament type thing. So, um, you know, sitting here, my preparation is the same. I think that, you know, this is an important game for the team to bounce back from a loss. Uh, they're currently third in the Eastern Conference. So, I don't know if we'll really know all of those things until we get through this year and 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 see how they either keep it this way or make adjustments. But I think once we get in the building, especially, and you see the different floor and, and get the different feel, it, it, it will feel like what it's supposed to be. Chris, what did you do in the off day in Philly? I went to practice. Um, I took a walk around Philly. It was a pretty nice day. I did not walk the steps, the Rocky steps. Right. I have done that. I have done that before um, and gotten a picture. Uh, when we got here on Saturday, I uh, went out to dinner with uh, two of our digital uh, people, uh, our digital uh, reporters and stuff. They're, and they're stuff real like that, people. But... They just work in <laughs> digital, right? Yes, yeah, okay. they are real people. Sure. Yeah. Uh, they I are thought maybe it was the lady people. from Mass Ave. You know what I mean? AI is making yeah. strides, that's right. Jake. That's right. 
and, and, I, and they are they are real, and uh, it was good to visit with them. Um, one of those, DJ, uh, moved back here. He worked for the NBA for a number of years and does a great job. His wife is from Indiana, so they're sort of happy to be back. And then uh, Logan is a Butler grad who, uh, you know, they're both young and excited about what they do, and so that was fun. Uh, to visit with them, and then yesterday went to practice. We went to Temple, um, so that's the that's the really cool thing too about during the course of the year is the off days that the team practices. We'll either practice in that team's respective practice facility, or a lot of times we go to colleges. Um, and you know, as the voice of Butler for so many years, I was in a lot of college arenas. But it's cool to go into some of the places that I've never been before. Do you ever go to the and Palestra so, in in oh, in I, Philly? I, I've, you know, we talked about that last night. We should have gone to the Palestra. The I think Villanova was playing last night. But I have been there before on the campus of Penn. Uh, you know, it, it's nostalgic, just like walking into uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse, uh, Allen Fieldhouse, those types of things. They had uh, – actually, when I flew on vacation a week ago, Chris, or two weeks ago, whatever it was, we, we flew through Philly. So we landed in Philly, and when I was – moving through the Philly airport, they have along the wall post movie posters of every movie that has taken place in Philadelphia. And you'd be so many of them. You're like, man, I totally forgot about that movie being in Philadelphia. Uh, aside from Rocky, your favorite Philadelphia based movie is what? And you got, okay. You got the sixth sense was one of them. You've got Philadelphia, obviously with Tom Hanks and, um, yeah. And Denzel Washington, uh, Trading Places was one of them that was filmed. Was Trading in film. Places here? Yeah. I didn't realize that. Yeah, or part of it was I'll, at I'll, least. I'll take I'll take Trading Places then. You you've helped <laughs> gave me an assist. You were Tyrese Halliburton with one of your fifteen. 17 assists there. Jake. Listen, Chris, how amazing is it that a guy can have a game where he's got 17 assists and not a single turnover? Unbelievable. You know, and, and he's overshadowed in the game. Um, but but it's not a surprise what he can do. We look back last year; he had a three game stretch in November where he had forty assists and no turnovers. I mean, that's the beauty about Tyrese Halliburton. You're gonna, I mean, just the course of a game and the pressure you're under. You, surely you're gonna turn it over, you know, once or twice. But but this guy has been brilliant with the basketball. Plays with such joy. Um, so glad that he's you know on the Pacers and. Uh, He's a very, very special he's player. He's 23 years old, Chris. 23 years old. There's a great article um, on the ringer right now. Uh, the reporter Rob Mahoney, Rob Mahoney uh, sort of was with the Pacers for about a week. Um, and it's a tremendous article if you have a chance to, to, to read it in the ringer. Uh, by the Tyrese. way, Penn upset Villanova at the Palestra last night. I didn't realize oh, wow. that. Little uh, little city of not so brotherly love going on there, right? Yeah, that's and, and the Palestra is on the campus of Penn, so that's that's a home victory for the Penn Quakers. Pacers Sixers in season tournament tonight, seven o'clock. Kristen Airy, TV voice of the Pacers, with us. Chris, always appreciate talking with you. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll catch up here soon. All right, thanks, guys. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Now, I, I probably should admit this, but that JMV right there, I realize he said he's paying a visit to moms in, ground, in Greene County. 
I thought he said, I'm going to go visit some moms in Greene County. And I'm like, I'm like, hang on. What? Fascinated to see how you transitioned to Stephen Holder. I mean, I was, you know, I was thinking to myself, wow, okay. Uh, Stephen Holder actually did not hear me incorrectly like I just did that spot when we were sitting at a Pacer game at the beginning of the year because we were talking at that time about the absurdity of a couple of the Washington Wizards putting up like 50 million <laughs> shots. And he sent me a tweet today that was like, look, other people have noticed it. Jordan Poole and, and Kyle Kuzma are putting up like 50 shots a game, and we're like, yeah, go whiz, right? Stephen, we're well, prophetic, they, right? The plus-minus figures were astounding, and I don't even know that I can explain plus-minus, but I kind of get it. They were, they were unbelievable. It is exactly what we were talking about, guys who put up numbers that mean nothing. 2025, <laughs> so, guys, man. Congrats. Hey, Stephen, let's uh, – Stephen Holder of ESPN, of course, covers the Colts, joining us here on the program. So, Stephen, we'll begin with this. The bye week for the Colts. I'm going to kind of give a, a glimpse behind the curtain, if you will, for people. In, just in talking to players in general, as I know that you do, and just kind of getting the lay uh, of the land, what percent of the roster do you think actually like goes on vacation during the bye week as opposed to – just lays at home and you know relaxes and tries to get their body right and not and there's not, neither one of those is right or wrong by the way right yeah i i actually think of i think it's probably a fair split you know sort of a 50 50 split um there are a lot of guys that will that will take trips and will go you know go off somewhere and, and take a break and i'm actually totally in favor of that that's if i didn't have stuff going on and you know kid in school and all that i might do the same this week you know but um i get it i think a lot of guys do do that uh, probably i would think at least half do do that and i haven't taken a poll necessarily but but i do think that you can kind of balance both you know you can uh you can kind of get away and also still take care of your body and eat right and and those kinds of things i i don't think that necessarily having you know a a bunch of workouts during your bye week is necessary um you know if you if you take what four or five days off and and maybe maybe you have a run here and there but i mean you don't have to necessarily get in the gym and go crazy i think it's okay to let your body rest for a little bit and and i think they're actually encouraged to do that to some extent you're not going to lose all your conditioning in a few days and that kind of thing so you know as long as you do it smart i think that guys are encouraged to kind of take a load off. I think it's necessary. I mean, 17 weeks, frankly, it's, more, it's longer. It's, it's more like 25 weeks or whatever it is, you know, from the time they hit training camp to the end of the regular season. I mean, it's a grind, man. The Steven, if you were to look right now, as the Colts have reached that point of the break in the grind, the area that they need improvement – that most surprises you or was the least expected area that at this point in the year would need solidarity is what? Hmm. Uh, I think defensively they're just too inconsistent right now. Now, uh, that sounds strange coming off of two games where the defense essentially won the game, literally. Uh, the, the past two games they won – primarily because of their defense. Their offense didn't score nearly enough points in and of itself to win. The defense you know, handled most of it. So anyway, 
The reason I say it's surprising is because I thought coming into the season, I thought there were fewer questions about the defense than the offense. Now, certainly the offense has changed. Uh, Jonathan Taylor didn't play for a while. Uh, Anthony Richardson's out for the season. So that didn't go according to plan necessarily. But I had lots of questions about what the offense will look like anyway, particularly with you know young receivers, a new quarterback, et cetera. What I thought they would get on defense – has just been – I just think they've been wildly unpredictable on defense. You know, I go back you – all you have to do is go back three weeks to the New Orleans Saints loss. They gave up 511 yards in that game. I mean, where did that come from, you know? And so, granted, there have been lots of injuries on defense. Grover Stewart suspended. So, I can explain it to some extent, you know, the, the secondary – the injuries they've had back there, for example. So, I mean, I can, I can kind of explain it, and it's maybe not unexplainable, but it's surprising, I guess. So if they can get some stability there, then I like their chances better because I know they can run the ball and they can kind of play the game they want to play offensively. Um, they, they just don't have a lot of explosiveness there, but we knew that. Stephen Holder of ESPN.com joins us. Stephen, you know that the league is set up for if you have a bad season – the previous year, you're going to be rewarded with a schedule that reflects that because the NFL, despite what people may say, is built to some extent on parity. Maybe not in regards to championship contenders, but in terms of playoff appearances. When you look at the Colts right now, are they a product of their schedule? Or are they a product of a team that really is starting to turn a corner and rightfully belong in that playoff conversation? Not to take anything away from what they're doing, but, but where are they in terms of that conversation? Yeah, well, there's definitely uh, lots of socialism in the NFL, right? <laughs> Wherever you stand politically, that is a fact, okay? So let's establish that. And, and it has helped them. There is no question about it. I mean, I think if you look down the stretch, I think they have, what, seven games left. Three of those teams, well, let's say this way, four of those teams have losing records. So certainly that is a product of, of, of you know where they finished in their in the in the standings last year, I, I believe it's the uh, the Bills. I was I was looking at their schedule. I mean, they have an incredibly tough schedule the rest of the way. Just as an example, right? And and that's a team that won its division last year. So you get those those uh, first place pairings with the other divisions and their champions. So that that really you know makes things tougher for you. There's no doubt about it. It might only affect like a quarter of your schedule, but that's a lot. You know what I mean? That's the difference. Those three or four or five games could be the difference in your season when you're talking about a league where, you know, uh, the the first place and last place teams in a division can be pretty close together at times, particularly if you look at the NFL right now, the AFC in particular, every division is just about really jumbled up in terms of the standing. So anyway, so the question and I'll stop rambling, but the, to your question, are the Colts a product of that? Uh, it has helped them. There's no doubt about it. It has helped them. I still think they have overachieved a little bit, and I don't know what their final record will say about that. And maybe their final record won't suggest that they overachieved. But I, I just think if you look at them from a week-to-week basis, I mean, they've been in every game for the most part. They've been very competitive, even in games they've lost. Uh, they've won some games they shouldn't have won. I mean, like, who thought they would go to Baltimore and win, for example? So 
I just think the eye test for this team has been they've probably overachieved. And even while being like really disappointing in some areas, you know, so they're a strange team, man. They don't really make a lot of sense. And I actually wrote a story that kind of said that today because I don't, I don't understand the Colts. They're a weird team. Nothing makes sense, but here they are. And let's just see what happens. Steven, when you look at teams that are kind of those weird teams, right? That are, that are right now. And I know we're only like just a little over halfway through. I get it. But if you look at the teams that are in that, that log jam of wild card potential. You know, you got guys like Cleveland or Cincinnati that you feel like can ascend away from that. I do think Cleveland has the potential to kind of put things together here. Then you have other teams like the Raiders that you look at and you go, really? I mean, does anybody really take the Raiders (laughs) serious? And the Jets are at four and five. Uh, Do you see the Colts more in that Cleveland-Cincinnati area where they're actually kind of rising? Or do you see them in the be happy that you're here now? Yeah, I see them in the latter category. And and here's why. It's not that I, I don't think that they can ascend. I they, po- they possibly can. I mean, they keep defying our expectations. So so they have proven that they can they can, you know, overachieve. They've they've proven that. The the difference is though, like they don't have the the offensive firepower that some of those teams you talked about have. And ultimately that's your trump card. You know, when all the chips are down, particularly if you have it at quarterback, you know, when nothing else is going right, if your quarterback can, can put a cape on and go make a play, uh, you know, that's everything. And this is a really, really bad example, but (laughs) Gardner Minshew kind of did that on the last drive on Sunday when you know, he's running around, he's under pressure, and they're, they're backed up to like their 10-yard line, and they really need a first down to kind of move the chains and run the clock. And he just somehow, him and his happy feet, which drive me crazy, but him and his happy feet run around and run around and finally find Josh Downs, who just makes an unbelievable yeah, play that, to help that his That play was great, yeah. It was a great play. So anyway, now, Gardner Minshew, I'm not counting on Gardner Minshew making that play most times. However... It's just an example of, like, in that moment, what you need is magic. You need some kind of magical answer to, to this problem you have, which is, like, we need somebody to make a play. And so when you have that at quarterback, the Colts don't have that consistently. But I'm just saying, the teams that do, they can, can rise above those situations and find a solution, potentially. You know, I give them the benefit of the doubt in those situations. And, you know, Cincinnati would be one of those. Um, I think the Browns are becoming one as well. I mean, Deshaun Watson, we were having a completely different conversation about Deshaun Watson like a month ago than we are now. So we'll see how it goes. Stephen, how long do – Stephen Holder of ESPN is our guest here on Quarry Company. How long do the Colts give this year? And and maybe the answer is permanently. But how long do they give – Shaquille Leonard to start to show production before they take a serious look at whether or not they bring him back next year. Um, I think that that look is already ongoing. Actually, I mean, let me rephrase that. How long do they yeah. give him before they make the determination on uh, next yeah. year? Well, they, they won't decide anything, I think, till it's all said and done. But, but I mean, if he were playing better – I don't even think you're you're even broaching that subject right now. 
you know, internally I'm talking about. I'm not talking about us. I'm talking internally. Now, no one has told me they're talking about it, but, I mean, we're not stupid. <laughs> I mean, they're just like us. I mean, they have the same conversations we have, okay? And when, you, when you're out there looking at your team, you're always thinking about it in terms of now and in the future, you know? And, and if you're, if you're in, in the personnel department, your job is, is to, to win now, but your job is also to project and to, to think about where you're going to be a year from now and two years from now. So they're constantly thinking about those things. So what I'm saying is I would be stunned if they haven't already broached that subject. Like, what do we do here? And particularly because Shaq, as is his right, you know, has been very vocal about the situation. I don't necessarily have a huge problem with that, but I'm just saying, you know, it's not like it's, it can be swept under the rug. I mean, he's talking about it repeatedly. And so, anyway, the, the backdrop here is I thought that was perhaps his worst game on Sunday, unfortunately. I, I thought the week before he had showed a few uh, signs of progress, even though there were, there were also some plays he missed in that game right, in Carolina. But I, I thought in recent weeks, I thought I saw a spark. I saw, I saw a guy, okay, you're, you're thinking, all right, maybe he's turning a corner. That is not to say he was back to where he was. I, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is I saw a shade of Shaq Leonard here and there. But then uh, what I saw Sunday was the opposite of that. And, you know, look, the play in the flat to – to Zeke Elliott, I mean, that was just everything that you've come to expect from Shaq Leonard, he failed on on that play. You've, you've come to expect him to get to the football quickly, and then when he gets there, make a sure-handed tackle. And he didn't either in that particular instance, and it was really jarring to see it. I love Shaq Leonard. I mean, he has been the embodiment of, of, of passion and competition and everything, you know, since he came on the scene. And um, – yeah, he's he's struggling to to recapture that now, and it's it's just really hard to watch. Steven, I want to give you an opportunity to join in a conversation that we had yesterday, and and I'll begin it with a question. Um, so let's say on a one to ten scale, since Grover Stewart has been out of the lineup, ten being the most and one being not much at all, uh, he has been missed to what number? Oh, at least an eight. Okay. Which leads me to this second question. When Grover Stewart first got the suspension for performance-enhancing substances, a banned substance, whatever it was, um, the narrative or the thought process to me, at least, you know, immediately was, boy, this is really bad news for this guy in a contract year. That is not good because he's been a good player and then this happens. Has this oddly actually helped his marketability in a contract year? <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. You know, it's if I'm his agent, I'm probably going to spin it that way. Absolutely. I'm using that to my advantage because tape don't lie. <laughs> Look, the Patriots had a, had a season high in rushing yards on Sunday. And the reason for that is because DeForest Buckner can only can only be in one place at a time. <laughs> you know, someone else has got to make a play. And they're having a hard time uh, finding, you know, a, a solution next to DeForest Buckner, particularly against the run. And, you know, and, and, and you can certainly 
Zaire Franklin and, and the linebackers can make lots of tackles and do make lots of tackles, but if the gaps, if guys are getting pushed out of their gaps, I'm talking about the defensive linemen, if they're getting pushed out of those gaps, then those linebackers are having to make tackles against running backs with a full head of steam, and that's really difficult. You know, So that's why you're seeing some of those linebackers getting dragged three and four yards as they're trying to tackle these guys because they're not getting held up at the line of scrimmage. So it's really tough right now. I agree. Uh, I, I knew that they would miss Grover Stewart. I think it has been – his void has been much more evident than I even thought it would be. It has been huge. Uh, and I, I agree. If I'm his agent, I'm using this to my advantage 1,000%. As weird as it sounds, as ridiculous and hilarious as that might sound, it, his absence has been glaring. ESPN Stephen Holder is our guest. Stephen, I know, at least from a colleague of yours, James Boyd, mentioning that Pay was out for that last series, but I know he left some time in that game with a hamstring against New England. He'll yeah. have the bye week to recover, so who's to say he's not ready to go when they come back against Tampa Bay? But if Pay is forced to miss any time, how does that impact things defensively for them while including the thought of, even though it's a different position on defense, they would return a rising rookie in Juju Brents, hopefully, over that same span. How does it impact and change things defensively, those two? It, it wouldn't help. Well, I'm talk, talking about Quiddy Pay, first of all. I mean, it, it wouldn't help, certainly, because I think their, their defensive line and their pass rush generally is predicated on using their depth. To, to impact the quarterback. I mean, they don't have a, a Nick Bosa, you know, where you can just say, okay, go get the quarterback, big guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's not, that's not how their, their defense has, has functioned. Uh, they do it with a rotation. They do it with waves of pass rushers. And that's why you see Dio Edengbo, for example, you know, getting some, some results there. You know, he's, he's one of several guys that are rotating in there trying to keep them fresh and trying to keep guys uh, in, in positions where they can find some matchups. So if you take away a, a key piece of that, it, it eats into that rotation and it, it certainly hurts. And, and I also don't, I also think that, that Quiddy, um, Quiddy has some real uh, run defense proficiency as well, where he can be a factor there. Uh, that didn't help either that he had to miss some snaps on Sunday against the Patriots, you know, setting that, that hard edge, on on the strong side, so so that would hurt. Uh, Juju Brents would definitely give them a spark. Look, I am I'm not going to sit here and pretend Juju Brents has been like perfect this year. I, I think we've probably glossed over some things with him just because he has made some huge plays. But but that's okay. I mean, I expect that from a rookie. I expect it to be up and down, and it has been. But that's okay. What he brings, that physicality, that that competition, that the juice that he brings, I think there's a lot of value to that. So let's see if he can make it back. Uh, another guy <laughs> I'm, I'm just flabbergasted by that he's still out is, is Jelani Woods. I have no information on what's happening there. I keep asking, and they keep saying soon, soon, and soon. And that's he's reportedly a hamstring, day. right? Yeah. I mean, that thing must be torn off the bone or something. I mean, I have no idea what's going on. He's been around. He's rehabbing. I see him all the time. Uh, so I don't know. I really thought this was a year where we would learn if he could be like a, a guy, like for real. And I think he still could be. But I don't know that we're going to learn that this year at this point. 
Stephen, your daughter, do you have a daughter in college? Is that right? Or soon to be uh, in college? Well, she, she's, in, she's in high school. She's a freshman in high school. Son, freshman, okay. She's the younger. Okay, yeah. so, so you're still saving up money for your daughter's eventual college tuition, just for example, okay? Right. So to assist in that endeavor, if you were able to you get want into, to contribute, is that where this is going? Because I got ten. I, I, you know what? I actually, I we, I just got back from Europe. I got five pounds in my pocket. We right just now. got the numbers back from the company, and as a shareholder, that's right. Maybe maybe, maybe he's got the, some windfall. Stephen is the key shareholder. Uh, uh, actually, you okay. do need the five pounds in my pocket based on the the you know. So, if retroactively you could go back to the opening day of training camp and buy a player for what at the time you thought they were going to be worth. And now, just past the midway point, sell them for the way that they have actually been contributing to the roster. The guy that would net you the most money would be who? So, I think it might be Zach Moss. Now, granted, granted, he got one touch on Sunday. And and I don't think his, his playing time is necessarily going to be robust in the coming weeks. Because Donovan Taylor is, you know, he looks like he's starting to look like the old Jonathan Taylor. Now, that being said, who among us thought Zach Moss was capable of what he did, right. I would say, over the first six weeks? No one. No one. I mean, I'd be the first to tell you, I thought he was kind of a just a just a guy. I thought he was just a guy. And, and frankly, that might say more about Buffalo than anything else, which is a whole other story, but timely, given what's going on up there. Okay, so then the opposite of that question would be the guy that would have cost you the most money because you really thought going in he was going to be a key. And I'm not talking about guys out to injury. I mean, Anthony Richardson would be the obvious answer. But guys that you thought were really going to be key contributors, and as of right now, not named Shaq Leonard, you're like, man, it just has not been his year. Uh, I would say Alec Pierce probably, and not because I think Alec Pierce is – is not a good player. I am just saying he just hasn't been a factor. And I think there, I think there's a blame on both sides. I think the player could do more. I think the coaching and the quarterback could do more. In fact, I wonder if, if there's not even more blame to share on that end of it, the coaching, the coaching and the quarterback end of it. Um, he is, he, he also is a victim of, of the quarterback change. There's no doubt about that. Anthony Richardson, the best thing he does is throw the ball deep. The worst thing Gardner Minshew does is throw the ball deep. <laughs> okay? And Alec Pierce is their deep guy. They're asking him to run a lot of clear-out routes that take him down the field. And, and a lot of those routes, frankly, are giving uh, room to guys like Josh Downs and Michael Pittman to make plays underneath. Now, no one – no defensive team is, is, is putting on the tape and saying to themselves, oh, man, we gotta, we got to stop this guy, Alec Pierce. But they also know he has speed. He can, if the opportunity arises, go make a play down the field. It's not like they can ignore him. So, so they, they're, they're aware of it, and they're cognizant of it, and you just you have, to, you have to play them accordingly. So, anyway, the point is the production has not been there, however, and that's been a little bit disappointing compared to what I thought uh, his, his potential was this season, particularly with uh, Anthony Richardson. Stephen, the Colts have said – Stephen Holder's our guest from ESPN. Uh, Jim Irsay, I believe, is the one that has said – at one point he had made the comment that if they had the number one overall pick, they still would have taken Anthony Richardson, which means they would have bypassed C.J. Stroud. 
does that tell us a they totally misevaluated cj stroud b they totally believe in and have seen something in anthony richardson that so far we just haven't been able to see because he's been hurt or c that's a total smoke screen and they were just saying it to build up their guy well i i, I think impossible to know but i I think you definitely convince yourself that you that your guy is the guy. There is definitely truth to that. Now, this is not me saying that that I, I think Anthony Richardson isn't going to be as good. I have no idea. Uh, no one does. But but yeah, I mean, you're, at that point, you have they have been or had been at that point um, totally invested in Anthony Richardson for months, as far as I can tell. Uh, I do believe that to be true from everything I have seen. So, you know, he's speaking through, through that prism, if it makes sense, you know, that that's what he's, they had been locked in laser focused on a guy. So, you know, I think he gets a little benefit of the doubt being that, that guy being uh, Anthony Richardson. So, you know, look, I, I also think that the conversation around CJ Stroud was very, was very interesting before the draft. I mean, his lack of mobility, Look, it's not like he's some kind of statue, but I mean, he's not—he's not a guy who's looking to get out of the pocket or run, you know. So that was definitely a, a, a I think, a mark against him from some teams, just because today's quarterbacks—they are—they look different than he does, you know. They just do. But the one thing that has has shown up is we—you could always see his accuracy at at uh, at Ohio State. It was the best thing he did was throw accurately and ultimately that matters in the NFL a lot. And I I just think some to some extent we may have underrated the importance of of being accurate over other qualities and CJ Stroud is a great example of of how much that matters. Stephen La- Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This thing for me, we mentioned potentially a way to get more windfall your way, and I have a financial endeavor that you could be a part of. I understand oh, wow. I sound like I'm trying to sell you snake oil here. That's not the case. Eddie, please okay. awaken Robin the genie. Okay, Stephen. The terms are very simple here. Robin the genie inside his bottle takes a little piece of paper and writes down your answer to the following. And if at the end of the circumstances surrounding said question, you are deemed correct... A million dollars comes your way from Robin the Genie, though I will admit he's oh. sometimes late to pay up. I'm still waiting on a payout from him. <laughs> Nevertheless, <laughs> with seven games to play, do the Indianapolis Colts make the NFL playoffs? Oh, I'm going to say no, but they're, they're really, really close. Okay. Steven, do you see the impact I've had on these youngsters? <laughs> Aren't you proud? Do you, do yeah, you weep? I, I, I see it. Whether that's a good thing, I, we can discuss that later. But I see it, yes. Uh-huh. Hey, there was an article uh, about the performance from Dio Dangbo from one of your ESPN colleagues saying that Mac Jones likely sees Dio Dangbo in his nightmares. Do you see Jake in yours? 
it, it depends on on whether I win this bet. You know, we'll see. If, <laughs> That's right. I think that because it, it could be a nightmare or it could be a very pleasant dream. I guess Actually, Stephen, you know what? Based on the Mac Jones comment, did the Colts officially end the Mac Jones in New England era? Oh my! Is it bad if I say let's hope so? <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the I'm, thing. That, to me, and the reason I ask it, half flippantly, right? But yeah. if, in fact, they did, then did that not, in effect, end the Bill Belichick, possibly, era? And I don't mean for Belichick to get fired, but if Belichick knows that he's now got to go out and get another quarterback and start this all over again, he's 71 sure. years old. I mean, doesn't he say, you know what, I'm good? I, I think the odds of that are going up by the day. No doubt about it. It's been rough. <laughs> it's been rough. So we'll see. I think there's going to be great drama in New England after the season potentially here. It's And I do think Mac Jones has been benched, by the way, uh, previous to this game. He's been benched on a couple of other occasions. I mean, at some point, what are we doing? Right. right. Well, especially so. when the game's on the line and he right. goes out to me. And I have uh, – you know, I thought about this and I thought – for so long, we thought that Tom Brady was a guy that was just benefiting from the Belichick system. And then I think that they looked at Mac Jones and said, he's a guy from collegiately that was playing in the Alabama system. And so it would be a smooth transition for him to maintain that, like, you know, just system format. And I, I, I don't know whether it was Mac Jones or, quite frankly, whether or not Belichick probably didn't get the right system around him and, right. and didn't draft well, right? And here we are. Right. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating. I, I don't know. We're living in pretty interesting times. I think you know we've we've seen the end of a, a of a dynasty, and then perhaps the fallout from the end of said dynasty coming up. It'll uh, it'll definitely be interesting to watch. But people here would be thrilled if they knew that they contributed towards the beginning <laughs> yeah, of the end. So. Uh, Stephen, enjoy the bye week, man. We appreciate the time. All right, guys. All right, Stephen Holder, ESPN.